This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week TV podcast. Joining me, Media Week TV contributor Andrew Mercado. It's been way too long, Andrew. Hello, James. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Gee, there's so much been going on since um, the last time we spoke. Um, I'm not the best record keeper in the world of um, what we've been up to, so mm. we'll, we'll try and keep this reasonably uh, relevant, although I know that we've talked about a few things that I'm still actually watching that, that haven't quite finished. So, it, you know, it, we're not too far, um, we're not too out of date. Um, and I, I should straight at the top say, look, we've, we um, won't, talk much about Picnic at Hanging Rock here because we've got a special podcast we've just recorded with Joe Porter, the uh, Director of Drama at Fremantle Media Australia and an executive producer on the um, new Picnic at Hanging Rock that's showing on Showcase, uh, Foxtel Showcase channel. So go over there, have a listen to that. There's um, quite a bit of detail. Suffice to say, we both uh, think it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I I absolutely loved it and... uh Six hours, and yet it really worked for me. Yeah, yeah, but it's not all a love fest. We talked to uh, Joe a little bit about some of the criticism and, um, you know, get her feedback on, on that. And there's quite a bit of detail on just how, how a TV show gets made. I found it really interesting, with, you know, even if you're not maybe into Picnic at Hanging Rock, just the processes they go through uh, to make a drama, that uh, really fascinated me. Because also, you know, there's, uh, it's not like we sell our stuff overseas the way that we used to. Mm. You know, there was this period after when Neighbours and Home and Away were flavour of the month that we were doing stuff. Our TV was being seen all over the world and it was really fresh and all of that. And yet now, in today's terms, we don't hear of uh, shows like Picnic at Hanging Rock that sell to... Amazon and the BBC and Canal Plus and all, you know, this show has extensively sold around the world. So, you know, more power to them for doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, One of the uh, programs that's uh, come on very recently, and it looks not making a huge dent in the ratings, um, partly because of where it sits, I guess, on, on SBS, but it's doing very well by their standards, but it's uh, the second season of The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Have you uh, had much of a look? Oh, James, God. <laughs> Jeez, it's grim this second season. I mean, the first season was pretty grim, mm. but this one is even grimmer. And uh, I'm hearing lots of my friends saying they just can't do it. That two ep- after two episodes, they're out. They can't sit there and watch it. That it's, you know, I've read a couple of things read about it where people are saying this is almost misogynistic porn in a way. This sort of this this constant abuse of the female characters in it. And I had I've had a lot of trouble sitting there watching episode two and three. One of the episodes I actually got up and walked out of the lounge room three times. Actually walked. I actually walked off and made my bed and listened to it. I physically couldn't watch it. And, you know, the, the show is designed, there are actually moments in this, just when you think, oh, I can't do this anymore, I'm going to neck myself, <laughs> there is this, like, little bright spark where you go, oh, there is actually still a moment of beauty and a, and a mm. moment of hope there. But I'm having a lot of trouble with it, and, and I think – one of the things that would make it easy for me, because they've renewed it for a third season, it's doing very well, people are watching it, but I can't watch that show for five or seven years, James. I actually would prefer it if they would come out and say, where the, the show's going to finish in season four or season three, 
I need to know that there's going to be an end point here because I don't know how much more of this I can actually watch. And several of my friends have said they're out. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, my wife's a bit like that. She just, I mean, I can watch it, but yeah, but you hold your head in your hands at times. And, Gosh, sort of, oh. and I just wonder, is it, I mean, it made a point at, at the first season, I get all that. Do we, does it need to keep that going? I'm just not no. sure. I mean, well, is, that a, is that a bad way? Can you say that? I don't know. Is it? No, it's, it's, it's really, we're dealing with a story here that has now surpassed the original novel by Margaret Atwood. Hmm. So they're thinking to themselves, like typical American TV makers, hey, we've got a hit on our hand, let's milk this. I'm here to tell you guys, this is not the show to milk because the majority of this show is sticking female characters into the most unpleasant, horrific situations imaginable. And whilst I think that there's more story to be explored and more backstory and flashbacks to explain how it got to this point in history for the story, I think they need to say the end point will be here. We're not just going to torture you for years on end. Uh, it's, it's, it's too much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it is a, is a very um, a hard watch. I should do a shout-out to um, one of our uh Friends and former colleague Dan Barrett, who's um, producing a a, um, a podcast, a um, Handmaid's Tale podcast over at SBS, which um, I haven't um, delved into yet, but I'm certainly interested to have a have a listen to it. And I'm I'm thinking if I do that, it might help me through the series, you know, <laughs> get get a different perspective and and um, hear some more women sort of talking about the um, the themes and, and and what they're getting out of it. That, yeah. um, that I that I might be um, coming up short with. So yeah, look one one other thing that I wanted to mention at this stage, which is a, I find a, a a challenging watch for some of the same reasons and for some of the different reasons is the second season of Westworld. Um, yeah, I've only watched that opening episode so far, but gee whiz, wow that um, the, the death and destruction <laughs> yeah in that, in that first episode, and it sort of gets you wondering well. If these were real people, like not droids or robots, would they be able to get away with that? And and it just, it, I mean, maybe that's part of the intention to get you think about the future and um, you know, <laughs> and and droids and 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 robots when they get so lifelike. Is, does does their does their life mean, you know, a lot less than? than human lives. I mean, you know, where you, you cross over like that, but gee whiz, it's, it's really, um, it's really just the, the executions, there's executions on the beach. And these yeah. people are, I mean, as a viewer, when you watch it, you can't tell who's human and who's a droid by the look of them because they, they look and often act very similar. But there's just people holding up guns to heads and blowing them away. And, wow, it's just, just incredible. And I, I guess it's a bit of science fiction, but... They have they have integrated the violence though into the DNA of the show because this is really what it's about. These robots have been made 
for humans' amusements. Mm. And I think Mm. they explored that really well in season one, that when humans let loose to indulge in their wildest fantasies, sex was pretty high on the agenda, but violence and killing them was also, was somehow almost seemed more important. It's almost like the rich people going to Westworld theme park wanted to kill them more than sleep with them. Mm. And I think they established that really well in season one. And I've turned into a real ambi-pamby when it comes to violence, particularly (laughs) on TV now. I, I really don't watch a lot of those gory crime dramas, but I buy the violence within the context of this. And I'm halfway through episode two. I need to get back to it and watch it um, because I've read this week that the third episode is uh, really something else as well. Really? Yeah. So you weren't, I mean, yeah, so I don't know. Was I, I sound like I'm more troubled by you than that violence, but there was a lot of death in that first episode, wasn't there? I'm more troubled by the violence in The Handmaid's Tale mm, yeah. because it seems more realistic than I am uh, with a sci-fi story about robots. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But but that's it's interesting, that theme where they, um, where one of the characters says, oh, the, you know, the inmates have uh, taken over the asylum. When the sort of uh, that seems to be a, a theme that's going to permeate this second season. That um, yeah, that's the humans versus um, these um, this awful what what they've created. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 fascinating. I still think it's a, a fascinating show, and yet it's not at the top of my agenda of things to do. Yeah, because you've got to really pay attention to it. Mm. Mm. You can't be doing something else while you're watching it. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um. What else? There's been quite a lot of reality TV started with um, My Kitchen Rules has finished its season, which that in itself triggers uh, a new show on Channel 7, House Rules. It triggers the return of MasterChef because they certainly don't want to be going up against yeah. um, My Kitchen Rules. And it usually coincides with the start of The Voice, although The Voice started a little bit earlier, I think, than, than MKR's finish. Have you been watching any of those? Well, um, I thought it was I – d- I didn't see the end of MKR. I just don't think that they had a great season with the little snatches I saw. Yes, it worked in the ratings, but at what cost, you know? Mm. Um, I thought hilarious that Manu came out at the end and said, oh, you know, the show needs to get back to people who can cook. Really, buddy? You've <laughs> just realised that now? Um, then I watched MasterChef and, you know, here's a show – where it's about cooking. You know, that first episode where they brought back, they celebrated their 10th anniversary and they brought back all the amazing people that had come good in it before um, and got them to be there with the first contestants. And it, it's just, it strikes me when you're watching MasterChef that the, the, the show is such a class act, that there's no real bells and whistles. They're not looking for a moment where someone gets carted away in an ambulance or there's going to be a bitch fight. It's not about that. The show sticks to what it's always been and they have that core audience that looks forward to it and comes back every year. And I, I think it's a, a much classier production because of that. Yeah, I'm really enjoying um, what I've seen. I've watched the first two episodes so far this week of MasterChef. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, we had a brief chat to Matt Preston just before it launched. He, he, he said, look, there's some real uh, there's some real class in this series. And I like the idea that there's a few more older people too in this. So it's not all just youngsters and that very diverse cast 
cast as as they are they usually do and always has been from day one mm. and that is the word to use with this show this is probably i think this would be the classiest australian reality tv show mm. Mm. would it not be can you think of a classier show than masterchef no not in terms of that you know com- you know competitive it, reality programs where you, you know, know it just it just ticks all the right boxes on you know uh teaching you something about uh, supporting people, about uh, diversity. Uh, it's not ageist. It just has everything that you want to see for a, a great TV show to actually inspire people. Mm, it certainly doesn't exploit any of the, um, the cast, does it? Uh, by, no. You know, Highlighting their weaknesses or um, you know, yeah. um, conflict and things like that. So yeah, I can't um, even see any lip filler in the show, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's it's not to say everybody should be like that, but there's tells you there's certainly a place for it. And the ratings this week have been very strong. I mean, it's a Wednesday night episode in the week we're recording this. It was the number one show after the news bulletins. Um, you know, all people and in the demos so and shows- don't. Don't ten need that. Oh Whew. yeah, do they ever? Yeah, do they ever? And it just shows you though that a there is a as an appetite for this sort of content, and it shows you that if ten get a good show, they can um, get the audiences because there's often talk of oh if ten had this program it wouldn't rate as well. But no, hang on. Yeah, you know, people, true. People will find a, a good program and they'll uh, change channels for it. That's right. Um, yeah. So, so now, do you watch much of House Rules? Uh, no, I've never really watched House Rules before. I guess I've watched an odd episode here and now, but I actually thought to myself, I'm actually going to watch it. I don't know why. I saw a couple of the promos and saw some of the contestants and mm. thought, oh, okay. So I'll sit there and watch it. And I was immediately shell-shocked by how terrible it was. I think if we've got, if My Kitchen Rules has become known as the show where you cast people who can't cook, (laughs) here we go again with house rules. The amount of contestants that said that they had never done any renovating in their lives. Okay, well, that's fine. It's a TV show. You, You want some drama and you want some comedy. But it started off with this this new way where they bought a house in uh, suburban Sydney. Rosebury, I think, yeah. Yep, and they got the contestants to do it up and then they sold it at auction and they sold it for a huge amount of money, made a huge profit, and that profit, 300 and something thousand dollars, becomes the prize money. That's True. all good. That's mm. all great. But So let's see, the show begins with this suburban house and this, it's not a red carpet, it was sort of like a pink purpley carpet and the contestants arrive and so they get out and Joanna Griggs comes out and seriously, who's dressing her? Um, what she wears in this show, I, I just don't get it. And then they go, whoa, and here come the judges and the judges come down and out they come of the car, whipping their hair around in slow motion, flicking their hair. And that's the men, James, the <laughs> The architect with the long blonde hair and the English judge with the hyphenated name, he does the big hair flick in slow-mo. You're going, what is going on? And then there's the female judge who looked to me like Shana Blaze Light. She looked like Shana Blaze. She seems to talk and do the same things that Shana Blaze does. And 
Then they go, okay, well, we've got seven teams here, so we're breaking the house into seven zones. So you're going to be working on the front bedroom and the passageway, and you're doing second team, you're doing this, and then uh, team four, you're doing half the backyard, and team five, you're doing the other half of the backyard. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, is this overly complicated? And then they say, now we've got our house rules rules. And they unveil the most ridiculous rules I've ever seen in a reality TV show for the heartland of Channel 7. So one of the rules was that the a room needed to be designed in a Florence Broadhurst style. Mm. Not one single contestant knew who Florence Broadhurst was. In fact, it was so beyond their capabilities, they no one referred to it. They instead they focused on the next rule, which said um, that the colour style needed to be in the style of Australian impressionists. So one guy said, "Oh, Australia, yeah, they must mean green and gold." <laughs> and I go, "Okay." And of course, all the men, by the I should point out, are dressed in the uh, uniform of tank tops, showing off their tattoos. And then this girl says, well, what's an impressionist? Is John Howard an impressionist? Is Malcolm Turnbull an impressionist? <laughs> this is all in the first half hour, James. I just couldn't believe what I was watching. Yeah. And then just when you're thinking, oh, this they're clearly taking the piss. This is like a send-up of a reality show. A giant flipping beam falls through the ceiling onto some girl that's coming to help them with their design because, by God, these contestants need help with their design. She gets whacked in the chest with this giant beam and suddenly the show's Bondi Rescue. She gets rushed off to hospital. So that's it for me. I'm out of there. I'm never watching that show again. What a mess of a show. Seriously, who in the heartland watching Channel 7 knows who Florence Broadhurst was? Particularly when the show goes to no attempt in the bit that I saw to actually explain who she was. I just mm. don't get what, what, what they're trying to do. Yeah. Are they trying to deliberately <laughs> embarrass those contestants and create comedy? I don't get it. Have you finished? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Wow, that was harsh. Wow, it was harsh. I mean, um, I'm I've dabbled in um, house rules in the past. I like sort of trying to keep a bit of a handle on, on what's happening. I like the idea of the auction early on. Yeah, because I like there's a as a I think there was a Joe Griggs used to host a show called Auction Squad. She did. Yeah. I think it was on Friday nights, and I used to love it because in the one episode they'd make over a house, then they'd auction it. At the end, yeah. yeah. And you'd see, and it sort of, it, it, it did quite good numbers, but I think it sort of started to die out when there was a, the real estate market turned and some of the properties weren't making a profit. And it just, right. it didn't make the auction all that exciting to find out, well, actually, <laughs> this house didn't make us any money. Yeah. But anyway, I, I quite like that. And I like Joe as a host, so yeah, but I'm probably not qualified to check chat about her wardrobe uh, I just say something about Wendy Moore the, the, the judge she's um, from Home Beautiful and right. now she sort of runs Pacific sort of I think that division that Home Beautiful sits in so she's got good credentials as a as a sort of you know, an expert in design in that field so so that Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen's the English um, and he's the star of the show right yeah he, he, he kind of took that last year he helped raise that show from being just another Renault show into actually having a really recognizable face to it right yes yeah 
Yep. And he used to, was he on the UK Changing Rooms in the past? He comes from some UK Renault show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to quite like his work in, you know, quite a long time ago. Haven't seen much of him lately. And they've had him back, so they must, Seven must think he's, you know, he's, he's, there's some attraction about him and he's very flamboyant, you know. And, and there's nothing like a snotty English judge, is there? <laughs> no, exactly. Coming down here to Australia, passing yeah. judgment. I get why they can't. Well, you wonder him if he show. actually overdoes it a little bit. But, <laughs> yeah. But then probably. you could argue, well, they want him to overdo it, you know, to, to make sure people get the point. Yeah. So, but um, the ratings were very slow for the start of this season. It's traditionally a slow starter, though. It does pick up some momentum with audiences. Um, especially as the voice will drop back to maybe two nights a week. Yeah. So as people who don't want MasterChef, maybe they'll start watching House Rules. But um, And the guts of House Rules is to get in there and get these people's actual houses and do them upright. And that's where it becomes really inspirational, right? That yes. you're living in some dog box and then <laughs> Seven sprinkles their magic dust and hello. Mm, mm, absolutely. Now... Um, Something I wanted to mention, and we've got a new channel, Andrew. There aren't a lot of channel launches these days. In fact, there have been a few channel closures are, are more likely than channel launches. But BBC Living right. has showed up, but uh, I think only for Fetch subscribers. Well, that's me. I'm a Fetch subscriber. Oh, so am I at the moment. So yeah. um, it's it's there. At, um, it's an interesting, it's it's a little bit lifestyle-ish. There's, there's other channels on uh, Fetch that are a little bit similar to them. Like, like um, oh, what is it? Um, well, there's a couple of lifestyle channels. The name escapes me now. H, um, HGTV, I think it is. Right. There's lots of sort of similar content on there. There's Nine Life, of course. Um, I mentioned Lifestyle and there's Lifestyle Home. So these channels, there's plenty of this sort of content around but I haven't watched a lot of BBC Living yet because there doesn't seem a lot of sort of exclusive content that I've, I've been hanging out to see. And I, I'm not sure of other, I mean, there's a bit of Gordon Ramsay on there, but he makes so many shows. He seems to be on Channel 7 all the time. He's yeah. coming up on MasterChef this year. I don't know how much of a big hook he's going to be. There's quite a few food shows, which I think a lot of viewers will be familiar with, things like the Hairy Bikers, um, Come Dine With Me, the I presume it's the UK one, Homes by the Sea, all these things have been on before. There's Peter Andre's 60-minute makeover. And, and who would have thought... What on earth is that? What does he make <laughs> over in 60 minutes? Well, he does, it's, a, um, it's a home makeover show, you know. So right. Who would have thought that's where he'd sort of end up as a um, hosting <laughs> a, a, a British home makeover show. Yeah. Which I gather is, is uh, quite a hit there. So, look, it's, it's a part of the fetch... Um, Part of the fetch lineup, so you know I'll try and spend a bit of time on it. Might might talk about it in the future, but again, I I just for me it sort of lacks any sort of big magnets that are going to make you make you want to go there. But it's interesting that you know BBC Channel it's exclusive to fetch and it's something that presumably Foxtel passed on. Very interesting, and and you know I wrote about this with you a couple of weeks ago. To me, it it, it just doesn't seem sustainable for the future. I think that we need less channels with more punchier, really fantastic content instead of loads and loads of channels with really average content and people just trawling around saying there's nothing to watch. Mm. That was fine when we didn't have streaming services. But now what's happening is that people are saying, well, why don't I have a look at what's happening on streaming? And 
they don't go back to TV. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do you know that I've got a, a, someone, because I live in a small town, James, now, in regional New South Wales, and, and the town is so small it still has a DVD kiosk box that people use. I see families down there all the time taking out DVDs from it. Um, the nearest big town to me still has two DVD stores that are operating. I saw a thing on TV the other day. There's literally only one left in Sydney now at Mount Druitt. So this is a, this is a you know they're they're slow to a, to adapt to change if they they've still got two video stores in the town. And someone said to me, oh you know my my mother she's got Foxtel and she's paying a hundred dollars a month for it. And I said she's paying a hundred dollars a month. And they said, yeah, yeah, but she says that she's being looked after. She's getting all these channels for free. And But I've said to her, mum, I really think you need to look into that. I think you could probably get a better deal. And, you know, I could hook you up to Netflix for $10 a month. I mean, that's where we're getting to in this conversation. There's a whole bunch of older viewers out there that don't want to change and quite happy to sit there and do this. But what are they doing still paying $100 a month? And you got to think, well, are you really getting channels for free if you're paying 100 bucks a month? Yeah. <laughs> you're not, are you? That just seems to me like that's a person that's been a subscriber for a very, very long time. And it always worries me a little bit when, when what we know that if you're a new person and you rang up to get that or if you went online, you would get that service for a lot cheaper. Yeah. And you it know. worries me that their loyal customers – who don't know any better when they find out. I mean, that's not a – those people aren't going to be happy. No. That's, um, and I you, and you only need one young person to visit and explain this to you to say, get with the program. I think it's a challenge Foxdale are pretty well aware of and are trying mm. to strategize about, you know, how they're going to going to meet this by – um, I've mentioned to you before, I think they're sort of calling themselves a, a streaming company now. We're going yeah. to see a lot more content on demand. I think there'll be fewer sort of live or linear channels. Yeah. Um, as much content as they can get will be uh, for streaming, for, for on demand, whole seasons, specials, things like that. And uh, I, I think we're going to see a lot. Um, I mean, there's already a lot of ad-free content on Foxtel, but I think we're going to see even more. And I think they're just going to really review that whole the commercial model and say, look, you know, um, what's more important to us, more subscriber revenues yeah. to replace the relatively small advertising revenues they get too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and look after your most loyal customers. I don't. I know that that's a very hard conversation to make when you've got someone that's paying premium for a service, mm. um, but seriously, your longest, most loyal customers really need to be looked after in this transition, I reckon. Yeah. And that's yeah. going to be really tough on the bottom line. I get that. But if they are your longest, most devoted customers, throw them a bone. Mm. Mm. And um, I should say, I think the that commercial free um, idea, we're going to see it start to proliferate in free to air, I think, too. Do you think so? Wow. Well, they're going to have to. Yeah. I mean, if they want to keep having dramas, they want to try and keep viewers, you know, they want to get viewers back, if you like, in the later evenings. They're going to have to do some yeah, you're some right. sort of stunts with, you know, ad-free yeah. hours, ad-free yeah. series. You know, yeah. They'll look for maybe, you know, program sponsorships 
Yep, the the attraction for an advertiser is that they might be the only, you know, they could sponsor that whole program mm. and there'll be no ads in the middle. So the person watching will just remember that one sponsor. They yep. won't have to sit through ad breaks with, you know, five, six, seven different brands all trying to get their attention. Yeah. And they mightn't get quite as much revenue, but they're just going to have to cut their cloth accordingly. But guess what? No one will go channel surfing in the ad breaks either. Well, that's right. If you're watching live, yep. that's yep. another way to keep your viewers. If they're liking the show, they're not going to see if there's something better on in the ad break. And it's almost human nature to do that. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So, look, I I think we'll see it very soon. We'll see maybe some special drama commissions. Yeah. And, and they'll think of a brand for it or something. They'll say these are going to be ad-free, you know. We, yep. We'll run them at, I don't know, 9 o'clock at night or whatever. Hopefully they'll try. And maybe they'll put them all up for to be able to, you know, you can binge them if you want. On the, They've all got platforms now where you can do that. Yep. And that same sponsorship model would work. Um, just forget about your ad breaks, you know, because even on on-demand, those ad breaks are really annoying. They are. They're also most more annoying than on the free-to-air for me. Because, because it's the think, same ads over and over again yeah, too Yeah, and you think times. I'm watching on-demand. So the idea of on-demand is that you you control it. Yeah, but you can't fast forward through those ad no. ad breaks, and it sort of I I think it tends to make the um the viewer I think it's you get more agitated, yeah, because you can't escape them, you know. Yeah, so that's where I think we'll go with that. We got off track a little bit there, didn't we? But it's we um, did. It's all relevant, um, Andrew. We these podcasts we've always got to get a a soap update. What's happening on Home and Away? Uh, Home and Away have just. You know, they've, there's been a lot of talk about them finally bringing in a gay in the bay. Okay. He, he appears to have arrived. I think it's the 16-year-old foster son of John and Marilyn. It's only a six-week guest role, though, jo- uh, really? James. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure how much of an impact he's going to make in six weeks. Uh, how, does so that's, that, how does that compare with um, other um, sort of same-sex couples? Well, have a look at Neighbours in a G-rated time slot half an hour earlier. They've got Mm. the gays going down on bended knee proposing to each other. (laughs) You know, they're gay regular characters. So, yeah, I think they've got a bit of catching up to do still. Yeah. Haven't seen how the story plays out, but, you know, six-week guest role, I I don't think it's what the audience, the the audience who were hankering for that, I don't think, I think they might be a bit disappointed. It would be nice if, you know, these weren't special events that had to be talked about. If it, you know, just no. became a regular part of programming and you didn't, you know, you're just worried about the general plot lines and not, you know, trying to think, oh, look, this is the first time we've had this um, yeah, this sort of character. Get with the program. Um, now, I believe you've seen um, Prue McSween somewhere other than the Seven Network. Huh. Um, yeah, apparently there's been, uh, since the a very controversial segment on Sunrise that Indigenous groups uh, were still protesting about even while the Commonwealth Games were going on there, uh, a, a, a chat that she was involved in, uh, it would appear that Sunrise has dropped her from their lineup. She hasn't appeared on the show for several weeks, but it looks like she's been snapped up by Today Now. And that is the name of the show that David Campbell and Sonia today, Kruger do, right? Today Extra? Today Extra. Yes. Today Extra, yeah, no, now is their 3pm news service, blah, yep. blah, blah. Yep. Yes, I've read that she's there. But what really amused me in this news item that I read was that uh, she is described as the busiest woman in showbiz on her 
IMDb page. And I'm like, so what's Prue McStream doing on Internet Movie Database? So I looked it up and there it is. She is the busiest woman in showbiz, which is amazing to think that you do a couple of chats on Sunrise and that makes you the busiest woman in showbiz. Geez, I know she's a publicist and that's her job to publicise. And I guess if you're writing your IDM page, you you publicise yourself. But come on. I'm sure there's busier women in showbiz than Prue McSween, just quietly. Yeah, there probably is. And I've, I've, seen, I've had an ITA sighting. Have you? Where? In fact, the day we're doing this, she's um, cropping up on seven. On seven? Yep. yep. Whoa. <laughs> that didn't take her long after quitting Channel 10, did it? No, no. So everybody's obviously out on the make looking now. How can we sort of exploit, you know, a, a frayed relationship? Yep. And um, get that person on and sort of yep. capitalise on recent publicity they might have got. Yeah, yeah. So, which is the case with both um, Prue and with Ita. <laughs> Wow. So I'm not sure if Ida's going to be a regular contributor, but um, Seven have definitely thought, hello, there's a, you know, she's a hot topic recently. Yeah, yeah. So let's put her on and um, see how it goes. Hmm. So it's, a, it's probably one that <laughs> they could have thought about sending her to London for to uh, <laughs> commentate on the royal wedding would have really rubbed up uh, perhaps Channel 10 the wrong way. God, would it ever? Hmm. Um. We talked a little bit about streaming, and we've, there's been some chat in the UK that the free-to-air broadcasters there might be teaming up for a streaming service, I think BBC, ITV, and Channel 4, which would be uh, pretty amazing because they all have their sort of own on-demand offerings as well. That's amazing. Can you imagine the the cachet of shows they would do if they joined forces? And I don't know, was there talk that they tried to do this once before and it fell apart, something? But, okay. you know, I mean, this would be a great way. They're doing it to uh, combat the onslaught of Netflix. And this would be a really, really smart thing to do. And, you know, I don't know whether our guys would ever be able to put down their differences long enough to do that. Seven, ten, and nine, um, but you know the future is looking pretty scary for some of these networks. And uh, if the Brits want to start a model and get BBC, ITV, and Channel Four to combine forces, my God, I would pay money to watch a streaming service from those three channels. I would pay money for it. Yeah, be hands down, straight away, without even telling me what's on it. I'll give you my credit card. <laughs> The, um, but yeah, it'd be fascinating to see if this happens. I guess it could take a while to evolve. And, but yeah, they, I mean, we saw Presto here, which was Seven and Foxtel yeah. got together, although that was only on the TV side of it. Because strangely, it was split into movies and television, that Presto offering, wasn't it? From memory. Yeah, disastrous. Yeah. And um, it wasn't a happy experience for either party, I don't think. So yeah, you just can't imagine the three people here ever really young. Um, getting together and, and sort of combining because they're sort of warriors, aren't they, out there sort of plundering, um, trying to – I mean, they do have sort of um, sector promotions and um, marketing. They try and sort of talk up the sector, but but they're really sort of um, wild beasts fighting each, <laughs> fighting each other most of the time, aren't they, for viewers? And what would they even call themselves? You know, if the if the rumour is true that Stan was meant to be 7, 10 and 9, should mm. they have gotten their differences together then? That name's gone. It's being used. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't see that the, the Australians. But look, you know, let's see how bad 
things get in the future. If if the Brits are forward thinking enough to start thinking about this, it, it, it certainly uh, other people should look at it, study it, and consider it. Sure, sure. Now we, um, as we speak, it we're a couple of days away from the um, the Olivia Newton John special. And have you have you had a bit of a look at that? Uh, the yeah, the miniseries, the biopic. Yeah, I watched the first episode last night. Okay. okay. Um, and it's very interesting because, and I've got to look up the name of the actress. I've written it down here somewhere. So the actress, you when you watch the promos for Channel 7, it's all very much about Delta, isn't it? Yes. Delta is uh, Olivia. It's very much, and of course, that's the, the, the hook to it. That's what gets you watching. But there's the most incredible performance by an actress who plays Olivia Newton-John from ages 16 to 22. And I think her name is Morgan Griffin. I can't find where I've typed it in my phone. Um, But she is actually fantastic. And I was only alerted to this when I leafed through TV Week this week and went, oh, it's not uh, Delta for the whole show. Mm. So for the first maybe half of part one, it's the entire cast then sort of ages uh, a few years and the entire cast of Olivia and her friends and work partners and all that uh, come along with Delta in the second half of the show. But the, the actress who plays Delta in the first incarnation is really fantastic. She looks like Olivia Newton-John, and more importantly, she gets the way Olivia Newton-John speaks in a way that, sadly, Delta Goodrum doesn't when she takes over the role. Don't get me wrong. Delta Goodrum sounds like Olivia Newton-John when she sings, Mm. but this young girl playing young Olivia uh, nails Olivia a little bit better. In that way that you're watching a biopic and you need to get past the fact that this is a biopic and there's someone is recreating the role. This first actress makes you think every now and then, yeah, maybe this is a young Olivia because she... The voice is so much like that kind of high-pitched, gilly Olivia voice that we know so well. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the, she does the, – the singing is just incredible. I mean, I've heard Delta a couple of times singing tracks just recently from the soundtrack album, which – and there's one track, I think, which is uh, where she actually sings with Olivia, where they both sing on one song. Yep. Uh, but her just recreating those tunes musically – just sounds wonderful. Let, I, I want to ask you a bit about the cast. Yep. Uh, Guyton Grantley's in it. Not in, not in part it's one. It's not yet, in part one. No. Oh, have, have you seen that promo shot? Is it, is it from the physical? Um, the yeah, the I physical think so. Video? The film clip, 1981. Yeah, film yeah. clip. Uh. I'm, I'm not sure how that'll come up. It looks, it looks pretty weird. Um, but um, I, I'm really fascinated wondering how it's it's going to come out. Now, Robin Malcolm's in this too. Yeah, she plays Olivia Newton-John's mother, who okay. turns out to be German. There was actually, I was actually shocked at how little I knew of Olivia's story. I knew the basics, that she started off singing here in Australia and she went to England and she'd made a really bad sci-fi film in 1970 and all of that. And mm-hmm. then there's a bit of it. I know that she had something to do with Nashville in America and she became a huge star and then comes Greece. And then I think we're all very familiar with the story from Greece onwards. But I was unaware of that early story. I was unaware of the men that she was with. I was unaware of the uh, manager-boyfriend relationship that was going on in those early days. All of that story 
I, even though I thought I was a little bit of an Olivia fan, I was very unfamiliar with her story. And I had no idea that Olivia Newton-John's mother was German. No idea. I knew that her father was very, very British. Mm. I somehow knew that. But there was a whole, whole parts of the story that I think is real. I think that the miniseries does that really well because you think you know the story, but in actual fact, a lot of the details of how she became so famous, we just kind of accepted that, oh, yeah, Olivia Newton-John just kind of was there and everyone around the world loved her from the moment she started to do it. You, you actually see in this that she had some real setbacks early on. Yeah. I've just seen reading here, Guyton Grattan actually plays a legendary manager, Roger Davies. Roger Davies, of course. Yeah, yeah. So Who be... I think was also Tina Turner's manager, maybe? Yeah, and I think Is that right? I think he still manages Pink. Wow, wow. So he's still around. Wow. I think so. I've got wow. that wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember we um, one of, we had an interview with him in uh, Media Week a few years ago. It's an incredible, yeah, wow. incredible character. Yeah, huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a guy playing uh, Peter Allen. Was he in that first? Very briefly. Very briefly. Peter Allen is just in one scene of it for me. Yes. Um, it all... There's, there's a slight problem with Delta for me again in that she's so tall mm. because it's all fine until you see her next to a short John Travolta and then you start going, whoa, 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 I've seen Greece 50 times. John Travolta is taller than Olivia Newton-John. You can't do this to me. You can't suddenly make Olivia. It's like, you know, it's so it's it starts to get a little bit disconcerting for me in parts. But the story of Olivia's life is interesting enough, I think, that uh, the audiences will be able to stick with it. Yes. Okay. And we'll and we'll be interested in it. Yeah. And musically, yeah, off the charts, she really sounds like the original. A couple of quick things before we wrap up. Um, they've got the new Bachelorette, someone called yeah. Ali. Ali? Ali. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I've, I'm not up on all these bachelors and bachelorettes. I can't keep track of them. I do know that this is her third time around, and now there's sort of, you know, trashy stuff written being written about her in the tabloid press today about she chased some... A, a guy from America that came out for Bachelor in Paradise. She chased him to America. He's now accusing her of hooking up with one of his friends. Seriously, tawdry oh. stuff. Well, that was an interview uh, I heard on radio this week. Whoa. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> God. I just, I just, look, seriously, Ten must know that she's well liked to have cast her as the new Bachelorette. Mm. They can't be making mm. this decision without doing some research and looking into some tracking and all of that. But like, oh my God, how many more times is this girl going to go on TV looking for love? Yeah, yeah. Look, a, a couple of um, quick uh, recommendations before we go. Look, my biggest recommendation is I've got to get it together and catch up on all these shows. I'm sadly lagging behind. It's just in my um, viewing habits have got right out of control and I've got so many shows of one or two episodes in and, and you, it's, you, you don't know where to go. Do you want to go, oh, start a nice new one that looks good or <laughs> yeah. you know, should I go back and catch up and so I can tick off that box or decide, no, I'm not going to go back there at all. But I'm a couple of, the, couple of um, sitcoms I, I want to get into. Uh, Bliss is a little one, a, a uh, Sky One sort of comedy drama about a bigamist who has two families on the go. Oh, yeah, this is on the ABC. Um, I think, here in, isn't it, no, here in Australia? On, I think, pretty sure it's on BBC first. 
But I'm pretty sure a... they're playing it here now on the, on the ABC. Really? Uh, the Bigamist, and it's that guy from Episodes. Okay. The actor Heather from Gra- Episodes. Heather Graham's in it? Uh, this, is his name Stephen Mangan? Yeah, 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 that's it. Yep, yep, it's screening here in Australia. Oh, I'm okay. sure it's on the ABC maybe on a Saturday night or a Friday night. Okay, well, it's also on um, BBC First, I'm pretty sure. Right. But, uh, Heather Graham, I've, I've seen that first Oh, episode. well, maybe it is on BBC First. Maybe I've gotten confused watching it. BBC First. You've on got a that on night. your fetch package, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah I could okay. be wrong. So that that looks really interesting. I'd like to watch a little bit more of that. And uh, another um, comedy. I think this is also on BBC First. It's a uh, Living the Dream, which I think it's about some a British family that moves to um, Florida. Ah. I, I look, I, 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 I'm so I'm not recommending. I'm just saying it sounds interesting. So I haven't actually watched. Right. <laughs> watched an episode yet but I'm, um, I'm I'm sort of looking forward to um, finding out what that's about um, now what I about quite sh- often am on the hunt for a comedy James because after you watch an episode of The Handmaid's Tale oh, yeah. or Westworld you just think yeah. I can't go to bed on that I need to watch something funny and light yeah. so that I'll dream about that when I go to bed yeah now a couple of uh, quick things I think you've you've mentioned um, Instinct as, yeah, and then there's a, a, a Harry and Meghan um, drama. Oh, there's a lot of Harry and Meghan stuff on TV, <laughs> a lot of documentaries and all this. But the one to be looking out for will be the Lifetime original telly movie that they wrote in two weeks. And any telly movie you rush out in two weeks is going to be unmissable TV for me. Uh, of course, you got to cast unknown actors here, and of course, this craze started back in the day. You remember back in the day with uh, Diane Charles. Yeah. When Catherine Oxenberg, who not only looked like Diana Spencer, but was a friend of hers in real life time, played, did a really tacky telly movie about the Charles and Di royal wedding. And then I think came back to do an unhappily ever after one as well. And then was cast as Joan Collins' daughter in Dynasty. Um, well, that's the that's the sort of nadir of these uh, rip-off telly movies. But this Harry and Meghan one, I was very excited, James, because it was on the Seven Media Preview site. Okay. And I thought, great, I'll get to watch it. But it said, no, sorry, it's coming. It'll be rushed here because uh, it hasn't even aired in America yet. It'll okay. be here in a few days' well, time. Depending on when you listen to this podcast, I think it's May 17. Yep. And then it should be on Seven's um, Seven Plus catch-up platform. Yeah, nothing like the Americans doing a uh, cheap, rushed telly movie of the British royal family, something they usually know very little about. Yeah. Nothing like it. And quickly, Instinct with Alan Cumming. Yeah, he's he's going to be, I think it's sort of like a private, in, he's a private investigator type thing. We've seen the show a lot of times before, but Alan Cumming, a brilliant actor who's been in some great shows recently in supporting roles, particularly The Good Wife. Um, but it's remarkable because he will be the first ever uh, lead character that's gay in a one-hour American drama. And yes, we've had ensemble shows in the past like Queer as Folk and Will and Grace in sitcoms and all this, but he is um, the lead character. Uh, this is going to be a first for American broadcast TV. Yeah, okay, so that's coming to 10 and that's on um, Wednesday, Wednesday, May yeah. 16 or on yep. 10 Play if you uh, miss that. Andrew and McCarter. my hot tip, James, one more really quickly. Yep. The assassination of Gianni Versace. It's coming soon to showcase on Foxtel. They sent out all the episodes for critics to watch, and I'm working my way through it. It is freaking brilliant. Really? Very yeah. disturbing, very creepy, but looks a million bucks. You can't take your eyes off it.
Oh, fantastic. All right. I've really got to get some work to clear my backlog now. <laughs> All right, Andrew, great talking to you. We'll do this again soon. Thank you, James. Okay.